decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts. This is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen. I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ALN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It is Wednesday, the 18th day of January, 2023, and this is Squirrel Chatter, a podcast that is dedicated to scripture, history, current events, and whatever it else is I want to talk about. And uh, we webcast live at 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time on Twitter, Facebook, and Twitch. And you can get that podcast wherever fine podcasts are found. And obviously, you have found us if you're listening. If you just stumbled across this on Facebook or Twitter or Twitch, um, I would encourage you to to please subscribe to the uh, audio podcast. That way you won't miss an episode. And hopefully you will find the program to your liking. Um, and I can be reached at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. I did get a an email yesterday. Um, somebody was asking about the... Uh, pull up the email, I'll tell you his name. First name. I won't give his last name. I'll just give you his first name. I think it was Mark or Hank. Mark. Mark. Mark wrote, and uh, he had a question to ask about. I said he, he enjoys the podcast. I appreciate that. He listens daily. Looks forward to it. But he's asking questions about the the uh, colics or um, and and the word is actually, if you look at it on print, it's collect. But it's pronounced differently. But what a collect is, or a colic is, is a, it is a prayer that is written, has a, a short form prayer. And we went through this a while back, and I don't have the diagram in front of me. But it has several elements to it. First, it has a, a greeting to God that is based upon one divine aspect, um, either a divine attribute or a divine action. You are, you know, you are the God who sends rain. And then there would be a prayer or petition that is based upon that action or attribute. So you are the God who sends rain Thank you for blessing our crops. You are the God who sends rain. Please bring fertility to our farmland. That that sort of thing. And then it has a, a close. And, and they're very short prayers. And they are intended to be the prayers of the collected church. Now, in Thomas Cranmer's Book of Common Prayer, and we use the 1552 version here on the show. Thomas Cranmer, of course, Archbishop of Canterbury, Anglican, uh, in, in, in the theological and doctoral sense, he's the founder of the Anglican Church. Politically, it was King Henry VIII. But in theological terms, it really was... Um, well, you had, you had several guys, namely... Uh, Latimer, Ridley, and Cranmer, um, and and they were the leading lights in the English Reformation. And if you really want to find out about the English Reformation, let me point you to Echo Zoe Radio, <laughs> because 
uh, I did one episode in 2021 where I really hit the early English Reformation, and that would be the one you'd be looking for. And then I did two episodes last year on the English Reformation under Elizabeth. And then we talked, uh, in November, we talked about the gunpowder plot and Catholic plots against the crown of England. And, Lord willing, next October, I'll be getting together with uh, Andy again for another episode of Echozoe Radio, where we will be talking about witch hunts. And we're going to start with the witch hunts under King James. And uh, if all goes right, and I plan accordingly, we may get all the way to Salem and the Salem witch trials. So, you know, so we're looking at 17th century witch trials in the English tradition. <laughs> it's kind of kind of the uh, the way we're going to approach that. That'll be in October. But if you really want to get a sense of the English Reformation, go look up those Echozoe Radio episodes. I'll link the, uh, the first one in the show notes. So uh, please go and, and listen to that and... and uh, you can bone up on the history of the English Reformation. But when Cranmer wrote his prayer book, he included in it this a, a lot of collects. Now, what do I mean by a lot of collects? I'm not sure the count. But you have um, several collects that were used in every service, such as the collect for grace, the collect for peace, etc., then you had a collect of the, it was the collect of the day, but it was the collect of the Lord's Day, so on, there were, on Sunday. So you would have collects, that collect that had been read on Sunday would be read all through the week until the next Sunday. And remember, the, the Book of Common Prayer lays out two daily prayer services seven days a week. There was morning prayer and evening prayer every day. And so you would have a new week start on Sunday, and there would be a collect of the day for that week. And that collect would be read every day in the morning and evening prayer services. And then you have some for special occasions. Um, you know, the the monarch's birthday, uh you know, other uh, Christmas, Easter, uh, certain saints' days. So let's say, you know, you have the collect of the, of the day from Sunday that's being carried through the week. But let's say Thursday is some significant saints' day or something. You might have an extra collect you throw in there. Or, like I said, during the, the Advent season, you would have different things and especially during the 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 Christmas time there were and and actually during Easter there were different collects almost every day of the week based upon the that time of the year and understand that the the church calendar in in these times was centered on Christmas and Easter the the church calendar starts the first Sunday in Advent which is the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And, and that's where the church calendar starts. 
And the two key events are Christmas and Easter. And so that's what these little collects are. And he was asking about that, and he was asking where to find them. And I will uh, link, there's a, a, a site online, I've got it bookmarked, but I don't have, I didn't memorize the webpage. But there's a site online that has multiple um, copies of the English prayer book in PDF form through the years, the different editions that have been put out. Um, the current official Church of England prayer book is still the 1662, which was the one that was put in during the restoration of the monarchy after the English Civil War. Um, and that is still the current prayer book. Um, even though it's rarely used, they have something they call contemporary worship, which is what is generally used in Church of England churches these days. And it's, um, it's theologically liberal. But the, the 1662 prayer book, in its daily offices, is very similar to the 1552 that Cranmer wrote and much of the much of what's there is unchanged um, where the changes came in um, the 1662 which was Charles II um, is pretty much materially the same as the 1558-1559 Queen Elizabeth prayer book um, and they were watered down a little bit from the, the prayer book that Cranmer wrote in 1552. Cranmer's 1552 book is very reformed. Um, but of course you had between, uh, 1552 and the, the beginning of Queen Elizabeth's reign, you had Mary Tudor. Mary the First, Bloody Mary, who tried to return England to Roman Catholicism and, you know, burnt a bunch of people at the stake, including Thomas Cranmer. Um, and when Elizabeth took the throne, she did not go nearly as reformed as Cranmer had been. And we all you have to wonder and and that's this is what if is the favorite game of historians and and history was my major in college and and so we always play what if what if this had happened what if that had happened you know uh, and you know what if the south had won the civil war what if you know what if you know this or that it's all speculation and it's hard to because we cannot possibly chase down all the different permutations. It is uh, something that, that none of us can ever really um, get our hands around, but it is a favorite intellectual pastime of historians to say, what if? And, and so we often say, you know, what, what would have happened had, you know, Mary Tudor's reign been skipped? What if, you know, her her brother, Edward VI, had lived longer? Um, he died, you know, in his 
teens. You know, if he had lived longer and Cranmer and Latimer and Ridley and the other reformers in the Church of England had really been able to advance Protestantism in England, what would the shape of the Church of England have been? Um, you know, what if, what if, you know, what if when Edward died, you know, Jane, uh, 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 oh gosh, what's her name? Uh, queen, queen of a thousand days oh, or, or nine day queen, nine day queen. What was her name? <laughs> anyway, she was, a, she was named as Edward's heir and I, I'm drawing a blank. I'm way off my notes, folks, way off my notes. Um, which brings me to a topic from yesterday. I uh, got done with the show yesterday. We ended in uh, um, Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 43, because I was looking at the clock and realizing that I was almost out of time. And after the, the show ended, I pulled up my show notes and pulled up a, a blank document and was going to copy over, uh, picking up in verse 44, for today's show and realized that I only had a few verses left in the chapter. I could have easily finished chapter one yesterday, but this is just to, to uh, I've never really talked about my process for putting together the show. If anybody's interested in some inside baseball, I'm not a broadcast professional. You know, this is a hobby. This is, uh, um, I had, before I started podcasting, I had no experience in broadcasting, um, I have had to kind of teach myself, and I'm sure I do 10,000 things wrong. But my show notes, I don't script the show, so I am not reading or reciting off of a script. Um, what I have is basically a series of bullet points of things I want to talk about. And those bullet points are more or less detailed, depending on what I'm talking about in my own personal knowledge of the, of the subject. So sometimes I'll just have, talk about this. Other times I'll have multiple bullet points giving details, quotes, all sorts of things, and it depends on what we're talking about. So in these study Bible level Bible studies that we're doing on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, what I do is I, I have a notebook wherein I'm sitting down and I am reading through the uh, passages and I'm making notes in my notebook. And then I put my show notes together. I go to my Bible software and I copy the passage of Scripture and I paste that into my notes. Then I break the, the passage of Scripture with my bullet points. So I'll have passage of Scripture, two or three bullet points about something I want to talk about, passage of Scripture, two or three bullet points. So it's kind of, you know, like I said, it's a study Bible level Bible study, and I intersperse my study notes through the text. So when I, I'm looking at my, my iPad here, I've got the text with gaps between the text with the bullet points of the stuff I want to talk about. Well, 
when I got to finished verse 43, I looked at the clock and I knew I had stuff going, you know, verse 44 and after. So I thought, well, we'll just stop here and pick up there. And I didn't because I can't see the whole chapter or anything on my iPad. I, I didn't see that I was right at the end of the chapter. So I'll try to be more aware of that. Um, it's just, but that's just the way I lay it out. So we are doing our study Bible level Bible study. Um, if somebody has a suggestion for a better title for that, let me know. And did I finish saying that I'm going to link to the 1552 Book of Common Prayer in the show notes for Mark and anybody else who's interested in where I get these? Uh, word a note about the 1552 and the PDF that I will be linking to. It is a PDF scan of an early printing of the 1552 prayer book, which means the English language used in that prayer book is very, very, very archaic. Spelling certain things that you have to to understand how the, the spelling was used. I mean, we understand, I think, that, that spelling wasn't standardized, really, until the 1700s. Um, so, so spelling was, was much more fluid in times past, which I would very much have appreciated as a dyslexic, because then I could spell words however I wanted and nobody would care. But uh, alas, that uh, <laughs> I, I, I missed that opportunity. And, and so I routinely misspell words. Um, but so the, the, when you read the 1552 Book of Common Prayer, you will see that the spelling is difficult. Um, where the 1552 is superior to the 1662, which is the current prayer book, and I've got a printed copy of the 1662 right back here behind me. Um, actually, I have several copies, but this is a large print one because I've reached that age. So the, the 1662, uh, where the differences come in is in some of the, the like the how communion is to be done and everything. Where the 1662 is sadly a, a reversion to some Romanist ideas that the 1552 was doing away with. Um, for example, for example, the 1552 speaks of ministers. It does not use the word priests. The 1662 uses priests because when uh, Queen Elizabeth I restored England to Protestantism after Mary Tudor's short reign, she, they didn't go all the way back, and they kept the title of priest for ministers. Cranmer didn't do that because Cranmer understood that the pastor, the minister, the preacher, is not a priest. We have one priest, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And so the minister is not a priest. Um, and for further on that, see the book of Hebrews. So um, that's just one of the differences between the 1552 and the 1662. So I will be posting the 1552, a link to the 1552 in the show notes for today so that everybody who's interested can see that. And I will also reply to Mark's email with that link. And please, if you have questions or comments or, or suggestions um, or complaints, it's been several weeks since I've gotten a profanity-laden uh, piece of hate mail. If you have anything like that you'd like to drop to me, it's squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. And I am actually amused by the profanity-laced hate mail. It, it tells me I might be uh, hitting close to the target. Because, as they, they always say, when the when you're getting shot at with anti-aircraft fire, you're probably over the target. So I will appreciate that. Um, but I'd much rather have your comments, your questions, and your encouragement. Okay, all of that to get us to the beginning of our show today. Um, and did I mention that Squirrel Chatter is a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community? Head on over to ChristianPodcastCommunity.com. Check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. If I already said that, excuse me. If I hadn't said that, you needed to hear it. All right, well, let's begin, as is our habit, our, our practice, with the prayer of confession from Thomas Cranmer's 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy laws. We have left undone those things which we ought, which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and there is no health in us. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us miserable offenders. Spare thou them, O God, which confess their faults. Restore thou them that are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And now our prayer for the reading of the word, which is the collect for the second Sunday in Advent. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, this is just to give you that, that pattern of a, a collect. It's a short prayer. It is the, the collected prayer of the, of the church. And this is praying to God who has caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. So that is the divine action on which this basis, this, this prayer is based. You know, dear God, you wrote the scriptures. Therefore, because you're the author of the scriptures, we want you to grant to us that we can hear them, read them, mark them, and that's not drawing in them, that's taking note of them. Uh, it's, it's kind of a meditating on them. Learn from them 
inwardly digest them, that's also a, a meditation. So, so, and then, then, so that by patience and comfort of your holy word, the scriptures that you have given us, we might embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. So you wrote the scriptures, grant that we would study and learn from them so that we would come to faith in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life. That's the prayer. And, and so you see that, that form there of how, you know, we have a divine action or attribute. We have a request made upon that attribute. And then we have a reason for that request. So, all right. That was all off script. <laughs> I don't script it, but uh, that was just off the top of my head. And uh, I do that. And, and if you're new to the program, you'll get used to it or you'll find something else to listen to because it annoys you. <laughs> but it's just the way I am. All right, well, let's review a little bit. We are looking at Deuteronomy. We're picking up in chapter 1 and, and moving into chapter 2. And I want to review just a little bit. Deuteronomy is Moses' final lectures to the people of Israel before he dies and they go in to conquer the Promised Land. He is relating to the generation that's about to enter the Promised Land all that had transpired when the preceding generation had failed to enter the Promised Land. So we're talking about the Exodus. We're talking about the two years at Sinai. We're talking about the two or three months it took to travel from Sinai to the edge of the Promised Land. Then the fear and unbelief that caused Israel to refuse to enter into the Promised Land. Um, yeah, this is uh, this was something that was that was key, and and I wanted to read Numbers fourteen one through four because this is that same. You know, they, they came out of the, the, the spies came from the promised land. The spies came from the promised land and they said, you know, all but Joshua and Caleb. They said, they're big, their cities are fortified, this is too much for us to do, there's too many of them, blah, blah, blah. Uh, like I said, they were looking fearfully at what they had to accomplish instead of trusting in God to do it for them. So... They, they, they didn't go in. Um, but in Numbers 14, this is how, how it's related there. This is a slightly expanded version of their we ain't going speech. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. This is the night that the, the, the spies had returned. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness? And why is Yahweh bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. It's time to fire Moses and head back to Egypt. And he said, uh, Deuteronomy 126 gives us that same uh, condensed version where the people of Israel say, 
The people are bigger and taller than we. The cities are large and fortified to heaven. And moreover, we saw the sons of the Anakim there. The Anakim were a race of giants. So God's judgment falls upon Israel for not entering the promised land. God tells them to turn around and depart because they're not going to be allowed to enter the promised land until this entire generation has passed away. Um, and so that was it. So we're going to pick up. We got to 43 last time, but I'm going to pick up in 41. And we're just going to head on from there. So we're still doing a little bit of review before we get into the new new stuff. Deuteronomy 1.41 Then you said to me, We have sinned against Yahweh. We will indeed go up and fight, just as Yahweh our God commanded us. And every man of you girded on his weapons of war and regarded it as easy to go up into the hill country. So having defied God's command to enter and take the land, they now compound their sin by defying God's command to turn around and leave. This would not go well. Verse 42, And Yahweh said to me, Say to them, Do not go up and do not fight, for I am not among you, so that you are not defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you would not listen. Instead, you rebelled against the command of Yahweh and acted presumptuously and went up into the hill country. And the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out to meet you and pursued you as bees do and crushed you from, the, from Seir to Horma. As I said, this didn't go well. They pursued you as bees do. It's just, what a vivid image, right? You know, you disturb a nest, and all of a sudden you're, you're swarmed by bees. I've, I've had that happen to me, and it's not pleasant. Um, and understand that, that bees here doesn't necessarily mean honeybees. This includes wasps, hornets, you know, the things that, you know, those, those dastardly little yellow jackets, which are the, I think, are the worst. I don't like hornets, but yellow jackets, they're the most vicious. They, they'll chase you. Um, and of course, I guess we have the, uh, what was the, the killer bees, the, uh, the Africanized honeybees that were, were brutal and, and very aggressive. And so perhaps we're dealing because this is, you know, just North of Africa here, they may have had varieties of those African, or what would have been the actual African honeybees, um, or African bees. I don't know. I'm not an entomologist. I have a friend who is. I should ask her. She should. Pro she could probably tell me. All right. Numbers 14 gives us this passage. It gives us a little bit more detail, and I want to turn there. So if you if you have your Bible, flip on over to Numbers 14, and we're going to start in verse 39. I'm not going to read a great deal, but I want to read some of this. Then Moses spoke these words to all the sons of Israel. And the people greatly mourned. This was the command not to enter the promised land. God has said, you're going to go back into the wilderness. Everybody who said no is going to die. Then we'll come back and enter the promised land. Um, and the people mourned greatly. You know, you don't know what you got until it's gone. 
So in the morning, however, they rose up early and went up to the ridge of the hill country, saying, Here we are. We will go up to the place which Yahweh has promised, because we have indeed sinned. But Moses said, Why then do you trespass against the command of Yahweh when it will not succeed? Do not go up, for Yahweh is not among you, so that you are not defeated before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will be there in front of you, and you will fall by the sword, inasmuch as you have turned back from following Yahweh, and Yahweh will not be with you. But they went up heedlessly to the ridge of the hill country. Neither the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh nor Moses moved from the camp. Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and struck them and beat them down as far as Hormah. So they were beaten and they were driven off because God wasn't with them. Had they gone in originally when God told them to, he would have fought for them. It is God who gives victory and it is God who withholds victory. And in this case, it was God's punishment upon them that they would flee before their enemies because they had disobeyed him and they had not entered into the promised land when he told them to the first time. This is, this is important. You know, when God tells us to do something, our responsibility, our only responsibility, is to obey. And, and so we should have always a heart of obedience, a desire to be obedient, um, knowing that none of us are going to be perfect in our obedience, but striving for it. As in, you know, verse 45, Moses again, Then you returned and wept before Yahweh, but Yahweh did not listen to you nor give ear to you. Um, so they came back from being driven by their enemies. And basically, I, the picture I have in my mind here, you know, um, and this is a difference between mothers and fathers. Um, those of you who are parents can no doubt relate, and those of you who are not parents um, will come to understand it. Dads all the time, well, parents all the time, both men and women, tell children not to do stuff because they know it's not going to turn out well. Um, it's just the voice of experience. Don't do that. You're going to get hurt. Right? I mean, we've all, we've all heard that said to us as children, and we've probably all said that to our children at one point or another. Don't do that. Somebody's going to get hurt. And then they do it, and somebody gets hurt. Well, the father's attitude is basically to shrug and say, I told you, what did you think was going to happen? That's not really a mom's attitude. Moms are going to, you know, try to fix the problem. But dads are going to be a little bit more callous, you know. Well, I told you not to do it. You know, you're, you're basically just getting what you deserve for not listening to me is kind of a, a daddy attitude. Um, obviously, if we're dealing with serious injuries, a dad's going to be just as, just as adamant about taking care of that as a mom would be. But for the most part, if it's, you know, minor injuries or some sort of, of uh, 
of mess that the child has to clean up, the dad's just going to shrug and basically say, well, you got what you asked for. And that's the picture I have of God here. It says, they, they returned and wept before Yahweh, but Yahweh did not listen to you, your voice nor give ear to you. It's like, I don't want to hear it. You did what I told you not to do. You got hurt. I don't want to hear about it. That's, that's kind of the picture here. So you remained at Kadesh many days, according to the days that you remained there. Chapter 2. Then we turned and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea, as Yahweh spoke to me, and circled Mount Seir for many days. Now, Numbers and Deuteronomy do not give us a great many details about the 38 years of wandering in the wilderness between the time when they refused to enter the promised land and that whole generation died off. The, the, the scriptures do not give us a lot of detail. Now, Numbers 33 gives us a list of the places that Israel camped from leaving Egypt until they crossed into the border of Canaan and, and started, which is the book of Joshua. But it doesn't say how long they stayed at each camp. It's just basically, a, these are all the campsites. And, so, and, and like I said, this goes back to Egypt. So you have the campsites between the departure of Egypt and the Red Sea. You have the campsites between the Red Sea and Mount Sinai. You have the campsites between Mount Sinai and the border of the Promised Land. And then you have the campsites as they wandered around in the wilderness waiting for this generation to die off. But we're not given a lot of detail. We don't know. And most of these campsites are not places where we know where they were. Um, so we don't know how long they stayed at each campsite. There is, as I said, Numbers 33 gives you a list if you want to look at that. Now we know that they were at Sinai for just over two years. And we know that the book of Deuteronomy begins in the 40th year since the Exodus, as Moses is giving these final addresses to Israel. Now it says here at the end of chapter 1 that they stayed many days at Kadesh. And then here at the beginning of chapter 2, it says they circled Mount Seir for many days. Now it seems that they stayed at Kadesh for a long time. And it seems that they headed southwest and kept a circuit around Mount Seir. Now, it could be Mount Seir. It could be the mountains of Seir. Um, we don't know of a particular mountain, but we know the mountain range that they're talking about. And these are mount the, the series of mountains that are south of the Dead Sea. And this is kind of the area where they were, there and further to the east. And they did this for 38 years. Now, as, as I said earlier in our study, they would camp in one place for a long time. And it looks like they camped at Kadesh Barnea for a very long time. But we don't know really how long, what part of the 38 years they spent where. But they you know, would set up camp, they would 
grazed their flocks, everything around that camp, and then they would get up and move camp. And we know from the scriptures that the, the signal to move camp was when the Shekinah glory of God lifted up from the tabernacle. So one thing we need to remember is during this entire time, they are being led by the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And when the, the pillar came down to the earth, that would be where they would set up the tabernacle and where they would camp. When it was time for them to move on, the pillar would lift from the tabernacle. They would know it was time to pack up and follow the pillar in the wilderness. I mean, I, I think about the miracles. I mentioned this yesterday. The miracles that these people witnessed. And yet they still had unbelief and and, and disobedience in their hearts. But of course, we see the same thing during the time of Christ. The, the miracles that they witnessed, you know, the healings. Uh, I was reading one commentator on the Gospels saying that, that basically, you know, looking at all the, the passages of the, the numbers of people to whom Jesus spoke and how they kept bringing the sick to them to be healed and it would turn out that he had, you know, it probably turned out that there was very few people in the area who didn't know somebody personally who had been healed of serious disease or, or deformity by Jesus. So the, these, the, uh, we're talking the, the, the members of the Sanhedrin most likely knew people who had been healed by Jesus. And they had disbelief and disobedience in their hearts. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised. This is, this is Romans chapter 1. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. They know the truth. They don't like the truth because the truth interferes with their sinfulness. Okay. So they wandered in, the, in the, this nomadic lifestyle for 38 years. Now, they're not lost. A lot of times, you know, they wandered in the wilderness because they, they, you know, nobody, nobody was smart enough to, to roll down the window, pull over at a gas station and ask directions. That's not the case. <laughs> they were not lost. They knew where they were. But God's judgment was that they do circles in the wilderness until that entire generation had died. He said, this is where you're going to be and this is what you're going to keep doing until you've, they've all died. All right, verse 2. And Yahweh spoke to me, saying, You have circled this mountain long enough, now turn north. So the time of the wandering has come to an end. The generation that ex had experienced the exodus is now all but gone. Every Israelite alive, with very few exceptions, you know, Moses himself, Caleb, Joshua, there may have been a few others who were going to die before they entered into the promised land. But the end of the generation had was upon them. And so every living Israelite had known nothing in their lives except this nomadic existence. This was their entire lives. Because remember, you know, it's been 40 years, it's been 38 years. We'll round it up to 40. 
which everybody does, the 40 years in the wilderness. We'll round it up to 40. If the, the military men, you know, the, the generation that refused to enter into the promised land, if that generation that had to die off was everybody 13 and older, then at this time, now the oldest Israelites, as I said, were very few exceptions, Caleb, Joshua, etc. The oldest Israelites are going to be 52, 53 years old. And that's it. You know, so the generation that witnessed the Exodus is, is, is dying away because the oldest among them now were children during the Exodus. So, I mean, yes, they may have, you know, I remember being at Mount Sinai. I remember, you know, the Exodus. I remember crossing the Red Sea, but, you know, they were nine, ten years old. I mean, I remember stuff I did when I was nine or ten years old. I don't have, you know, deep and detailed memories of a lot of it. Some of it I do. But, yeah, it's not, you know, it was certainly nothing that I was, I didn't have the understanding necessarily of what was happening when I was eight, nine, ten years old. And, and certainly not when I was younger. So, the, the the generation has died off. The the oldest remaining were were children during the Exodus. So God says, the time of your wandering has ended. Turn north. And Moses is told to command the people, saying, you are going to pass through the territory of your brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not provoke them. For I will not give you any of their land, even as little as a footstep, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So it seems that in their wandering and circling of Mount Seir, they had not actually been in the territory of Seir, but around it. They hadn't entered into the land of Edom. Um, the Edomites are the descendants of Esau just as the Israelites are the descendants of his brother Jacob. Um, Esau was also called Edom, just as Jacob was also called Israel. So you have the Edomites, sons of Esau, and the Israelites, sons of Jacob. So they hadn't entered into the land of Edom, but they had circled around it. They hadn't crossed it. Um, so when it says they circled around, they, they may not have made a complete circle because that would have taken them across that territory, but they, they, they were in the area around Mount Seir, probably, you know, north, south. You know, they moved around, but they may not have been doing complete circles because they would have crossed the territory of Edom, but they hadn't done that because God is now saying you're going to enter into this land. Now, they're, they're going to be crossing through the territory of Edom, and God basically tells them to play nice. This is their land. It's not yours. I'm not giving it to you. You're not going to get any of it. You know, this, is, this is theirs. You're not supposed to get any of it, so don't take any of it. And he says to them further in verse 6, You shall buy food from them with money so that you may eat. 
And you shall also bargain with them for water with money so that you may drink. For Yahweh your God has blessed you in all the work of your hands. He has known your wanderings through this great wilderness. These 40 years Yahweh your God has been with you. You have not lacked a thing. So God has greatly prospered Israel even during this wandering in the, in the wilderness. Now, going back to when they left Egypt, we are told that they plundered Egypt. They took from Egypt great wealth. And we're told that this was, this was gifted to them by that God had given, given it to the Egyptians to look with favor upon the Hebrews and give them wealth as they were leaving. And so they had come out of, of Egypt with vast amounts of wealth. So they had all the gold and the bronze and whatnot that was used to construct the ark and the tabernacle and, and, and everything. They had, they had all of that had been with them. And then they still had enough money to buy food and water from the Edomites for millions of Israelites. Now, this would have been supplemental food because they are still receiving their daily manna from God. So this would have been, you know, stuff to go with the manna, side dishes. I know I'm being facetious, but you, you understand what I'm saying. This would have been supplemental food, you know, and it actually would have been a way to help the, to for Egypt for Israel to bless the Edomites by buying stuff from them. This would have brought in income for the Edomites. Um, and, and as I said, Esau was Jacob's brother, so the Edomites were cousins to the Israelites. Verse 8, So we passed beyond our brothers, the sons of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arab road, away from Elath and from Ezion-Geber, and we turned and passed through by the way of the wilderness of Moab. Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their territory. And this is told in Numbers chapter 20, verses 14 to 21. And it says, From Kadesh, Moses then sent messengers to the king of Edom. Thus your brother Israel has said, You know all the hardship that has befallen us that our fathers went down to Egypt, and we stayed in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians treated us and our fathers badly. So we cried out to Yahweh, and he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out from Egypt. Now behold, we are at Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Remember, he's writing to the Edomites. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or through vineyard, we will not even drink water from a well. We will go along the king's highway, and we will not turn to the right or to the left until we pass through your territory. So it's basically just let us head down the road. We're just, we're just passing through. Don't want no trouble. Numbers 20 continues. Edom, however, said to him, this is the message that Moses got back from the Edomites, you shall not pass through us lest I come out to meet you with a sword. Again, the sons of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway, and if I and my livestock do drink any of your water, then I will pay its price. Let me only pass through on my feet, nothing else. But he said, You shall not pass through, 
and Edom came out to meet him with a heavy force and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Now we learn later, Edom will be punished for this. They will eventually be destroyed because they failed to show hospitality to Israel. But Israel was told, don't mess with them. And they didn't. So back to Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 9. Then Yahweh said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given heir to the sons of Lot as a possession. So it is God who establishes nations and their territories. He says, You can't have this land because I gave it to Edom. You can't have this land because I gave it to, to Lot. So it was right for God or for Israel to take possession of the promised land because God had given it to them. But it would not be right for Israel to take land that God had given to someone else. That would be theft. God has been clear in telling them what is theirs and what is not theirs. So the Moabites are descendants of Abraham's nephew, Lot. And we'll talk more about them next week. We're going to stop there in verse 9. We will pick up in verse 10 next week of chapter 2. Tomorrow's Theology Thursday. We're going to continue looking at the 1689. And Friday is Federalist Friday. We'll be back in Deuteronomy on Tuesday. So just so you get your... I'm starting to get used to the schedule. I hope you are too. Um, I think it's working out okay. Like I said, drop me a comment or, or anything at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. Would love to hear from you. Um, suggestions, comments, whatnot. And uh, we will continue. We'll get into a pattern. Um, who knows? I may, uh, I may change it up again at some point. Um, it's a work in progress. So, just uh, just like all of our lives, this podcast is a work in progress, and hopefully any changes I make will be improvements. Um, and I, when I say that, I'm not considering any at the moment, seriously, but, you know, the possibility exists. I am not welded to this format, um, but it's going to be something along these lines. It'll be tweaked. So, all right, let's then read the... Um, Apostles' Creed together, and then we will sign off with the Collect for Grace. The Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now the collect for grace. O Lord, our Heavenly Father, Almighty and everlasting God, who has safely brought us to the beginning of this day, Defend us in the same with thy mighty power, 
and grant that this day we fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings may be ordered by thy governance to do always that is righteous in thy sight. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And again, this is the, a collect, so it has that same basic form. And this is, a, a, from the, this is from the daily morning prayer service in the book of prayer. And it's basically saying, you know, watch over us and keep us, you know, through the day. You, you brought us to the beginning of the day, meaning we, we, you, you didn't kill us in our sleep. We woke up this morning. And now that we are in the day, keep us from sinning govern our actions, watch over us, keep us out of danger, keep us away from sin, and, and may we do, may we live righteously today through Jesus Christ our Lord. All right, folks, that's Squirrel Chatter for today. I hope you have a very, very wonderful Wednesday. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. See you again here tomorrow for Theology Thursday. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster. The Arboreal Rodent Network has reached the end of our podcast day. ARN is owned and operated by Squirrel and podcasts in the public interest under the authority of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States of America. Our business offices are located in the Piney Woods of Western Montana, and you can reach ARN by email at squirrelchatter at protonmail.com. Our podcasts are provided free of charge for the private use of our listeners, and you are welcome and encouraged to copy and distribute these recordings provided that you do so free of charge and do not edit the content in any way. ARN will return soon with another episode of Squirrel Chatter.